0: To Doctor Who Family Tree, a Power of Three podcast production. We're back. Welcome to a very special edition of the Power of Three podcast. It's a kind of subcategory called Doctor Who Family Trees which we're going to be uh, doing on a kind of occasional basis as the main series continues. Just think Big Finish Audio, except more complicated. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you all? Yes, we're fine. We're fine. In Thanks a while. You're very...
1: on my behalf, Dave. Yes, I was about to say, I'll just cover that quickly. How are yes, you, fine, Kenny? We, we don't Thanks, want you to feel left really... out.
2: Oh, thank you, Tom. I'm very well, thanks. Living the living the furlough dream as ever. You're still on furlough? Yeah. I went back to work on the 2nd of November at 9am, then at 11 o'clock I got a phone call and I was back in furlough. Good so drift. I've done two hours' work since the start of April. Is this going to continue to be on Christmas? It will do, until yeah. January the 11th minimum. Gosh.
0: Oh, well. I don't know if that means commiserations or if you're enjoying yourself. Best not say I'm on yeah, a bit. Um, Well, it's been a while, and that's my fault, as usual. Apologies. But now that we're embarked on this new era of, uh, of Power 3 podcasts, subtitled The Doctor Who Family Tree, and the first thing we're looking at has been nominated by our own Davy Steele. Davy, what have you nominated, and can you tell us why it qualifies to be a member of the Doctor Who Family Tree?
1: Certainly, Tom. I have nominated the um, the movie, The Land at Time Forgot, from 1974, which is based on the book by Edgar Rice Burroughs. I'll give you some quick details about the book. Um, the book was first published over three consecutive issues of Blue Book magazine in America between um, October, sorry, between September and November 1918. First published in book form in 1924, and then with the explosion of the paperback mass market in the early 60s, more traditionally published as three separate books as it was originally serialised. And we are covering it today because amongst its cast, um, there are people like Anthony Ainley, who's familiar, should be familiar to most Doctor Who fans, and also <laughs> a few actors like Susan penn who appeared in The Time Monster, Keith Barron, who appeared in Enlightenment, and a couple of really good big Finnish Doctor Who stories, and a couple of other actors like Roy Holder, and um, Now who's Roy Holder in the film and who was he in Doctor Who? Roy Holder was one of the he's in Caves of Androzani*. he's one of right. the he's one of the lads that kicks about with Morris Reeves he's the one that Morris Reeves' character that Stotzi kind of tries to you know, threatens with a pill in his mouth and he's the guy who gets eaten by the plesiosaurus when the submarine first pitches up that's Roy Holder okay. um, amongst the cast is also Andrew McCulloch who's one of the sailors, and he was one of the writers of the Doctor Who story Megloss, and also um, the character of um, Von Schoforts, the captain of the U-boat, was played in person by John McHenry, who was the first actor, who was the actor who played Hamlet in the very first production of Rosenkratz and Gilderstein are dead. See, it's all the facts here, folks. He was actually dubbed by Anton Differing, who was in Silver Nemesis. So <laughs> these are my these are these are my qualifications for the doctor who family tree so
0: anton differing actually uh, dubbed the captain in the land that time forgot yes i did not know that well there Nor you go. Did I. It's, a, it's a good thing i'm here that's that's really interesting yeah, yeah uh, right we'll come back you say a few more words about it but kenny um you're familiar with this movie
2: I am indeed. Yes, this was a childhood favourite. I mean, let's be honest. Sunday afternoon, Doug McClure, dinosaurs. Uh-huh. What more can you want, really, when you're eight, nine, ten years old? Loved it. There's also a few more um, people in the cast who Dave's not mentioned who have got Doctor Who family tree oh, connections. Oh, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> oh no, I I was there's, just, there's, I was just
1: giving a, you know, a few qualifying examples.
2: Absolutely. Well, I was going to throw in Declan Mulholland, who's also he's Clark in the Sea Devils and Till in the Androids of Tara. Oh,
1: so he is. Um,
2: also, Andrew McCulloch is the brother of Ian McCulloch, who was Nielsen in Warriors on the Cheap. I mean, Warriors of the Deep. If you want to make it a proper family tree, uh, I'm going to rule that
0: out. I think we, we, you know, if we start talking about relatives of people that used to be in Doctor Who, we, we could cover yeah. every oh. single film ever made.
2: Okay, that's true. We've also got two others: Godfrey James, who played Borg, was Tarn in Underworld, and most importantly of all, I cannot believe you missed this one out, Dave. I am shocked. Ron Pember who played Jones was Sidon in the Doctor Who audio adventure from BBC Radio <laughs> slip back. <laughs> yes, I I've uh, yes it's, this is one of the films that I remember fondly from my childhood. <laughs> it's doesn't you cannot I'll just go get, wrong I'll with, get
1: my coat.
2: I know you can't go wrong with dinosaurs, volcanoes and Doug McClure and a submarine and Nazis. Yeah, it's a no, winner.
1: Nazis it's it's not Nazis it's World no, it's, War 1. Right, absolutely. <laughs>
2: But, um, sorry, my excuse my historical mistake there. There were evil, bad Germans. <laughs>
0: That's right. We want to keep absolutely historically correct when we're talking about the land that time forgot.
1: Absolutely.
0: This yeah. is a movie that 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 betrays my age because I saw it in its first cinema release. Wow. Yeah, I saw it in the cinema. Um, and I do remember loving it. Um, and 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 the thing is, we'll talk more about the special effects. I remember seeing uh, a clip of it. On Clapperboard,
1: right? The, uh, yeah. the
0: ITV children's show about movies, hosted I think yeah. by a guy called Chris Kelly. Yeah, I remember that. And it was it was the bit where the the, the pterodactyl swoops in and takes off the the caveman and flies into the sunset. Um, and I remember seeing that clip at the time, thinking that looks really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, the special effects are of their time, I suppose, of their budget, probably more accurately. Um, but I just think now when I look at it, and when I've watched it again over the last couple of days, you've got to admire the ambition of the filmmakers. Oh yeah, um, you know, given that they obviously didn't have a very big budget, and they Definitely. just thought, let's do it anyway. You know, let's have pterodactyls and uh, you know, allosaurus and whatever. And it is, it's, it's a a, a, a memorable film, obviously, because I first saw it in 1974. Did you see?
1: Yeah, nineteen seventy four. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it's first out first around. That's Did tremendous. You know, really, I've never seen it on the big screen. So um that's 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 a long held dream. Um the interesting thing you say about that about the um the ambition, because the vast majority of Edgar Rice Burroughs books were obviously written in the you know the nineteen twenties and the, the nineteen um teens before that. And you know, it took almost you know, it took up until two thousand twelve before a film was made of one of his most famous books you know, the the first John Carter of Mars novel because he do, he, he writes you know there's, there's no limit to Edgar's imagination you know and it took a, and I think they definitely deserve the kudos for attempting to try and film these you know to film these stories because the yeah. the um the imagery of them is just stunning and the, the scope and the adventure is huge and I think with this one especially they do a really really good job.
0: Before we crack on with the actual story um, I should mm. point out that you, you lent me the the DVD of both The Land That Time Forgot and its sequel, The People That Time Forgot.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, two points to raise here. It turned out to be a Region 1 DVD, which I couldn't play in my uh, Blu-ray. I told you that before, or not? Well, I don't remember you saying so. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because I I probably illegally... Uh, converted it to an mp4 and just played it on my television through my iphone um so i, I watched them both in the last few days actually i watched people at the people that time forgot, which is the first time i've ever seen it mm. and of course we could include that in the in the documentary family tree if for no other reason than that uh, shane rimmer from the Cowboys <laughs> or, or the Gunfighters, is, right. uh, is, uh, and there'll be others as well. Kenny will yeah. probably know that. The, the, the guy that swept the floor on Studio 2 at Pine Tree <laughs> was married to the brother-in-law of, of the, the screenwriter of... I've never uh,
2: heard of the film. I've never heard of the people that Time Forgot. Have you
0: not?
1: Yeah, it was made, nope. it was made a few years later. That's, um, because they made Land of Time Forgot and they also filmed at the Earth's core which was the first of Edgar's Pellucitor books. And then he made Warlords of Atlantis, which whilst not based on a Burroughs book, was very Burroughs-esque. And the screenplay of that one was written by Brian Hales and Peter oh, yes. Gilmore was in it. But, but you know, well, probably, it probably deserves an episode on its own. But The People At the Time Forgot was obviously was the second sequence in the, um, in the book. And it's very significant that they didn't, they, they, they never made any attempt to film the third book. But some of the imagery from the third book like a city of skulls and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's very barest sort of sense is present in the second film. So the second film kind of, it starts, qu- it's, no, it's not as close, it's not as faithful, it's probably better way of putting it to the book as the first one is, but it does a reasonable job. It, it's, it's okay.
0: Talk us through the beginning of Land of Time Forgot. Set up the plot for us.
1: The, the movie and the book both start with, you know, someone finding a flask in the water, which has the written... Record that's been created by the character of Bowen Tyler, who's played by Doug McClure in the movie. And in the book and the movie, the person who opens the, the flask, which has been in the water, um, starts reading, and we get the voiceover, which tells us, uh, the, you know, leads us into the, the events of the story. And the story starts off with the boat having been sunk by a U boat, um, you know, during during World War One, across the Atlantic. And the people, the survivors of the ship that sunk, um, they encounter the U-boat. Long story short, they managed to take it over and they attempt to try and steer it towards, you know, a friendly port. Um, But the U-boat has been sabotaged and they end up traveling much, much further south than they intended to. What do you make of it?
0: Did you ever hear of Caproni? an early Italian navigator. He followed Cook, about 1721. People scoffed at his claims. But I remember reading in his book in which he describes a new continent in the South Seas, a rock-bound, inhospitable coast, without beach or harbor, where he could make no landing. He saw no sign of life, called it Caprona, and sailed away. I believe that we are looking at the coast of Caprona, uncharted and forgotten for 200 years. But we'll have to do what he couldn't do. Find a place to land. If we don't, we'll die. I love that opening scene. I think as the when the credits are rolling at the very beginning and we see this flask being thrown off by an unidentified individual, and the flask falls down the cliff, and then we watch its progress across the ocean as the, the opening credits run. And then, of course, it's swept up into, I was later discovered, an island in Scotland, um, and it's retrieved. I, I remember at the time finding that incredibly intriguing. I thought it was a g- cracking way to open any film. Because you, yeah. You're just waiting to find out what on earth is in there, um, and of course, the whole structure of the film um, and the way it ends will come to that. But the way it ends, and because of the fact that it, it you know, we it ends where it started with the throwing of the flask into the sea, mm. um, it just makes it so obvious that there was going to be a sequel. You know, there's, there's never yeah. been a, a more obviously primed opportunity for a sequel than the end of the yeah. time forgot um yeah so i thought that was that was great i, I the whole stuff i was surprised when i, I remember even a 10 year old going to see it. i was surprised that basically a third of the movie is about a hijacked german submarine yeah. And, yeah. and 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 it's taken over by different people by each side you know the you know the the germans control it and then the americans and british control it and then the germans control it and then the british and germans control it um and it, it it could all just be a bit padding but it actually feels quite um yeah, entertaining it's quite substantial it's
2: i thought definitely entertaining and it does give you a sort of a good sense of build-up but i mean let's be honest when you're going to the cinema and you're going to see a film that's got you know it's got dinosaurs on an island in it, you're it to meet the dinosaurs, do not you? Yeah. Yes, you've got the human yeah. drama playing out, but let's be honest: we're in this kind of film for the monsters. And I mean, you consider the dinosaurs; we do get this was made around the same time as Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and even though the dinosaurs in this, even the models, they may be a bit on the cheap side, but they're still oh, a hell of a lot better than Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Not, yeah. I wouldn't, say, I
1: wouldn't, I wouldn't say they were cheap at all. I mean, they made a, a, conscious, a conscious effort to sort of to make them as, as as good as they could right I mean, hold, honest, hold that hold
0: that thought because we're not at the dinosaurs yet we're still on the yeah. submarine right? <coughs> we'll, the we'll submarine. come to so the submarine probably,
1: we'll come to the dinosaurs that but i mean it's that's a fair point about you know the, the sense of padding from the um that you get because obviously this was originally you know a serialized novel in three parts and when you read the whole thing on go it, it, it you don't really get that disproportionate sense of of the submarine sort of it's one thing being faithful to a source text and then another sort of maybe they could have i would agree that they could have sped it up a little bit you know they could have cut some of it down with no harm at all and got to the island you know a whole 10 or 15 minutes earlier and it wouldn't have done the film any harm
0: the one the the, the strange parallel you forgive me for making this i hope is the film aliens which is one of my favorite movies and you know what it's about you know that at some point the aliens oh. are going to appear. But you spend something like 45 minutes before you see one of them.
1: Oh. And the
0: tension ramps up. Now, obviously, the land that they forgot is no aliens. But I think what Kenny said is right. You know it's, the dinosaurs are going to come into it at some point. So you're quite content to sit and wait and maybe get a little bit excited as you as you near
2: this hidden
0: uh, continent. Um, and it just helps ramp up the, the expectation and the excitement, I think.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I think and also just when we're on the U boat, um we mentioned for Anthony Ainley's performance. He's um he's very Anthony Ainley, isn't he? Yes, is, he is. He's a he's very ruthless German. Yeah. He's he's very he's, good. Yeah. Everything's through yeah. gritted teeth. That's right. Now,
0: Davy, are you familiar yes. with Al um Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World?
1: Yes, of course, Professor Challenger. And obviously yeah, yeah. there
0: are strong parallels here. Uh-huh. Uh, which, which one found its way into print first, do you know?
1: I believe I believe, it was, um, I believe it was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Do I have a copy of the book handy that I can check? Give me a second. I do have a copy of the book. Right, give me two seconds. 1912. 1912.
0: There right, so it was a good bit before. Six years. Yeah. Uh, do you think uh, Anthony, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle ever suspected Burroughs of plagiarism? Because it's a very well, it similar is- idea.
1: It's a, it's, it's a fair accusation because obviously Tarzan is um very similar to Mowgli from the jungle book yeah yeah you know the, the big thing with edge stuff is um there might not be his uh, his really good original idea but the someone's really good original idea He's, he, it's all about the um it's all about the execution more than anything else yeah. i mean there's been i know that um a lot of stuff's been said about plagiarizing Kipling and all that and I think the way that the whole sequence of the Land, Time forgot plays out is very different to the way that the lost world plays yeah, out. I mean, yeah. I don't want to, we, don't want to, we don't want to get we don't want to get hit. No, no, no. Forward. Let's
0: let, 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 we can do the lost world some other time. We've got some cracking model work, uh, both in the the ships mm. that are torpedoed. There are two of them, yeah. and we've got the submarine, and it, it finds its way to this new continent um, in the south of the planet. Um, obviously, Antarctica's existence was known at the time, um, but we were told this is different from Antarctica. And the, the the submarine finds a way through a tunnel into the centre of this new forgotten continent, and mm-hmm. that's and that's where this is where it stops being a black and white Judy Garland movie and becomes the Land of
2: Oz.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it.
2: It's very true because I think I mean that model work is superb, and you think of yeah some of the team. I, mean, I don't know if it was done by some of the Anderson team. Who'd obviously worked in things like Thunderbirds and Derek Meddings and co over the years, but it looks superb. I mean, I don't know, you know, what size that submarine was built to, but the detail on it is fantastic. I did pause it to have a wee look, just how good it is, and it's brilliant. And even like when it pulls up to, we've got the land in the background. It's been beautifully made, and it's it's yes, yes, it's obviously model shots, but it's so beautifully done. Some of the matte paintings superimposed on the actual.
0: studio work it's actually really impressive uh, I, I, f- oh, yeah. I find a lot of that just r- technically really worthwhile watching yeah but we need to talk about the dinosaurs let's talk about the dinosaurs now okay
1: i mean because- i think there's a danger of maybe looking at the dinosaurs by today's standards you know i mean I, I mean i first saw this movie i think around about 1980 1981 when i was in primary school it got shown on that like, bank holiday weekend and you know it was phenomenal the, dis- the dinosaurs looked terrific I think now, you know, the most part they stand up. There's there's a lot of back projection and front projection. There's mod, there's a lot of model work. Um, but I think, you know, I think for the time, they're excellent. I will not hear a word against them. I think they're actually more convincing than some of the CGI effects in the first Jurassic Park movie. Well, that's pushing it, Davey. I'm, I'm sorry. but, no, but, but no, we'll, we'll, we'll let listeners make their own judgment on that one. I mean, it's that idea of the uncanny valley. I much prefer a solid model that you can see as a solid item than Something that's been rendered that. You well, know,
0: you you say that the special effects hold, you know, are only
1: bad compared to what we have now mm. CGI and everything. No, I'm I, not. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that I think for, I think they are excellent, and I think they hold up very well. And over the time, they were probably top notch. Well, I want to talk. about... You can't really criticize special
0: effects with a modern Do you know what i mean well let me let me let me let me criticize the special effects from a contemporary eye <laughs> from 1974. <laughs> you're you're talking to a guy who was brought up on ray harryhausen on yeah. jason, jason the argonauts one million years bc um and there was something fascinating about the Ray Harryhausen stop motion photography work that was done on one well, million years BC, for example, and Valley of Guangji and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it was just amazingly wonderful and slightly horrific to look at them, especially you know, think of the scene of the harpies and Jason the Argonauts tormenting a blind Patrick Trout. I mean, yeah. that, that gave me nightmares at the time. These, I don't think, would give kids nightmares. Um, and I think. There was a decision taken. I mean, you're right, the model work is actually very good, and no doubt some money was spent. But it's pretty clear, and I say this without any knowledge of the production history of, of The Land That Time Forgot, it seems pretty clear that given the opportunity to work either with stop motion in the Ray Harryhausen style or to do model work, they decided that the model work was going to be cheaper and therefore more practical.
1: Well, yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right, Tom. It's, it, they probably would not with the money or the time to, yeah. to do the Ray Harryhausen you know stuff at all um, the Ray yeah. Harryhausen stuff I would agree with you it's it's in a different class it really is um, but I, th- I think I think I think that the effects I fine. you know Kenny Kenny made a comparison to the um, John Petwee Doctor Who story the invasion of dinosaurs and I think the ones in this movie are a hundred times better than the the ones in the Doctor Who story with yeah, no offence yeah. no well, no they are. No shade thrown at the Doctor Who story at all because I love it dearly and would defend the dinosaurs and that to every inch, you know, to my last breath. Um, I th- I th- it's, it's
0: You choose some weird things to defend to your last breath, mate.
1: Movie that <laughs> didn't have the, the Hollywood resource. And you know, I, think, I think what they do do is, uh, to, to use repetition, is very resourceful. Just to ask you all quickly, what was your favourite dinosaur bit? I,
2: have to, I quite enjoyed the bit where... Um, pretty much I think it's the Plesiosaurus uh, we get to see a, like a full size model of it and it chomps Roy Krelper or Roy thingamy who plays Krelper uh, that's quite good fun um, yeah that's, that's even, my favourite bit too the early shots of the Pterodactyls I um, mean if you can see those alien Pterodactyls and see them wheeling in the sky that's quite <laughs> entertaining <laughs> Kenny, Kenny um, is quoting.
1: Kenny is quoting episode 2 of Doctor Who there listeners in case you didn't realise that
0: I've got uh I mean I've Shameless. got I've got I've got a soft spot for the pterodactyls, partly because they're so rubbish compared with <laughs> Harryhausen's pterodactyls. In 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 yeah. um one million years BC, you know, you've got these massive flapping ferocious beasts that uh. pick up Raquel Welsh and why wouldn't you and take her off to <laughs> to her nest or whatever. Um and in this you've got basically a kite. Yes. And, and they're actually flying. That's what I love about them. I mean, I just, I, as I said this, I've said it before, but you've got to admire the ambition. You know, they've got these pterodactyls oh, yeah. and they're huge in real life. And they, I think they were remote controlled uh, gliders well, at the
1: time. They were on. I think they were on, I think it wasn't even as fancy as that, matey. I think they were, I think they were just hanging from cranes. Because there's a few shots where you can see the strings, Unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I could be wrong, but I, I, I'm
0: sure I remember a documentary the making of it at one point where there was at least one that had an, a, an right. earring sticking out of its head that was really? a, that was based on a remote-controlled <laughs> glider plane. I might be wrong. I might be making that up. But anyway, cool. that's cool. certainly what it looks like. And I just think yeah. it is, the bit where it picks up the, this caveman and, and flies away is just oh, so rubbish. That. I love it. Uh, it's just, <laughs> just, just brilliant. Yeah. But, so go back to the story. We've got the... Is it the plesiosaur who attacks the submarine first and then it is yeah. shot dead and they, yep. they, they eat it because they haven't the fresh meat for a while? So they eat this dinosaur, which I thought was yeah. really <laughs> quite gruesome and lovely. It's <laughs> one
1: sort of but, the best bit. But like, here's,
0: yeah. here's the thing the problem I have now, which I didn't have when I first saw it. You've got these Westerners arriving in this hidden continent, they kill the first dinosaur they see and then every dinosaur they see after that they kill Mm. they they just it's a bloodbath Mm. and it's really interesting because it was made in the early 70s and when perhaps environmental and you know those kind of concerns wouldn't have been foremost in most writers minds it is unthinkable now to imagine a story where you go into a hidden uh, land where the dinosaurs survived and the first thing you do is take a machine gun to as many of them as you possibly could <laughs> and it's it, it's so bloodthirsty and yeah. pointless and horrible there's yeah. a bit we'll we'll, well, we'll come to that bit so anyway we've got the Placerosaurus uh, on the dinner table um, because it dared to take on uh, western civilization armed with a gun and it's dead um, then they go ashore and that's when we start meeting more of these things, including some cavemen. Which, incidentally, Doug nuclear starts shooting as soon as they see them. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I can't actually, David. Remind me what the story is after that. They they go exploring. Well, I take it.
1: They go exploring, and you know they start to refine. They find oil. They start to refine the oil, so that, because they think they can, um, they can use it to to get use it, you know to refuel the, to refuel the submarines so they can get home. They also, they get a sense of the, the flora and the fauna of the place. And they see the, the scene where the, the cave women are all bathing in the pool. It's a and encampment. Hey,
0: look, look at the women in that pool.
1: What are they doing?
0: Do you remember those samples we took from the river?
1: Yeah.
0: And the spawn we looked at under the microscope? This must be how life begins on Caprona. That's the secret. Every creature must lay eggs in this way. They flow into the river and develop through every stage
1: of evolution.
0: Again and again, a time must come when they must go forward. Nothing on Caprona can ever go back.
1: Um, so i need to ask you, I, I need to ask you about this this scene one thing that's sort of um that's very good actually compared to the book in the in the book um susan pinhaligon's character is she's an actress she's just really there like in a lot of burroughs books unfortunately just to be you know a sort of a damsel in distress and and a, a loving a love interest for the hopeless hero um but this is books, the, the movie's quite good because they um they they make her a bit more sort of scientifically minded and she you know, she gets involved. And the whole thing that pans out over the three books is this idea of how evolution works differently in Caprona. And they get that sense when, you know, Arm, the caveman they meet, he hears the call to sort of move on up to his next stage of evolution. Can you, exp- you, know, could you
0: explain this scene to me then, Dave? Because I, I was, my jaw dropped when I saw this scene. You've got the soldiers with the binoculars looking at these cave women who are doing something that you don't really see a close-up of in, the, yeah. top, in the, the top of this pool basically where the water runs yeah. down from the pool and oh. one of the so, one of the sailors says gleefully oh gosh look what they're doing and you think this is it a bit odd I mean what the hell are they doing are they indulging in lesbian sex or something but you, know, <laughs> you don't you don't you don't, like a, you don't get that you don't get a sight of it but then Susan Penhallian says this is how life progresses on this planet, you know, on this on this continent, that yeah. the, the eggs are laid in the water and the water oh, flows right. down, right? Yes,
1: that's, that's did, it, yeah, they're basically laid... So, so did this writer...
0: Eggs. Hold on a second, did the writers never go to Section 6 biology classes? Did, <laughs> they, not, did they not know <laughs> that when a baby is, is made when a man and a woman love each other and stuff like this? <laughs> yes. Well... Um, and have a special cuddle, Tom. Yeah, a special grown-up cuddle. What on earth was going on that was anything to do with human procreation?
1: Well, that's what. It, what happens is the um. I'll, I'll lend you the, You know, have I lent you the books already? Nope. They're Which a, books I'll are th-
2: we talking th- here? Are we talking th- the th- Section th- Six books?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking talking the the, the Burroughs originals. I th- I was sure I had. Maybe I just threatened to lend you them. I let, I've, let, I've lent them to a few people over the years. Um, basically. The eggs are laid, and the eggs flow down into the river, and the the eggs. I mean, this is hold <laughs> this on, whose eggs? Well, the the um the women. You're shitting me. No, <laughs> that's because not how babies is, are made. This is how it works in Caprona. On the on oh the, on come the, on. on. <laughs> this is how it works in Caspak. This is <laughs> in this isolated, you know, little pocket ecosystem. Um, and that's that's one of the themes of the book because in the third book. I wouldn't I wouldn't give any you know any any real detail because I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it. We kind of get a sense of an, an evolutionary blind alley where you know one extension of how things evolve goes another way and you know um and creates kind of something really quite unpleasant. Um the the, the conceit in the book basically is that a cell an egg is laid and Whatever it develops into, then passes up through all the stages of evolution. Now, I don't mean—I don't know if this meant that Edgar thought that someone would evolve into a Tyrannosaurus Rex and into a human. I don't think that's right.
0: Edgar obviously went what to the, an old boy's school.
1: <laughs> what they're—what they—yeah, what the women are doing is um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're—they're they're laying eggs. Yes. The yep. one—the one thing I would say, Dave, is that
0: if you have to read a novel that the film was based on in order to understand what the film is about, then there's a mistake being made somewhere in the script for the film. It's, yeah, like, it's, it's like when Star Wars fans say that, oh, The Phantom Menace makes perfect sense. If you read all of the, uh, yeah. you know, connecting novels yeah. and comic books, you know that's yeah. not good enough. You, you make a film yeah. stands alone in the uh, for its audience. However, it's a small pernicious
1: point. I didn't want to. I mean, I think it's it's a fair. I mean, it's a fair point. I think the film because it doesn't really, it it brings the and it brings the sort of evolutionary sort of side of it a bit forward in the mix of the story. It's you know it doesn't really get emphasised as much at that point in the novel. I think they probably just had to fudge it because they knew they weren't going to be able to do the whole thing. Do you know yeah. what I mean, um, but I, I think it I think it works okay just to kind of tell the story.
2: Put contextually, when you consider the periods in which the book was written, it's not exactly as if you can do a blatant, four, um bodice ripping type or whatever it would be, um, saber tooth tiger ripping, uh, bodice type thing, um, just to try and you know show that you can't put too much um, naughty uh, hanky panky in, well, in the submarine no. and all that.
1: There's, there's none, there's any, any of that sort of stuff in Edgar's books is always quite chaste and you're one foot on the floor because, you know, they were, you know, they were written in a different time and the, the stuff with the women laying their eggs, there's nothing, is licentious the word? Is that what I'm thinking of? Yes. There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing sexy or sordid about it, you know, in, in the It's just it's,
0: just, it's just bonkers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, that's, that's the whole, the whole conceit of the land at time forgot is that, um you know, evolution is kind of works so differently. But yeah.
0: Since you mentioned Susan Ben-Halligan, I meant to mention this earlier on. Um, when she's in the submarine, I have to say nobody in history has ever rocked a fisherman's jumper as well as <laughs> Susan Ben-Halligan. She looks
1: fantastic in that. She house. does, doesn't she? I not she? Um, does. I think Louise Jameson comes close in the horrifying rocks. Yeah, yeah. Same effect, isn't it? Um, what, is it what is it about a big chunky jumper on the lady? I don't know. I don't know. Paging Dr. Freud. Yeah, let's let's
0: quickly move on. Um, so we kind of, into the third act now, and, 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 yes. and you mentioned about the, the refining of the oil, and once again it struck me, you know, you've got this Eden-like paradise at the far end of the world, um, everyone living quite happily, and then suddenly the Westerners turn up, start killing everything in sight, and refining oil.
1: Yes, uh, and I know.
0: <laughs> and this is where Anthony Ainley comes into his own and gets his, his main kind of set piece event yeah. film where he basically yeah. picks a fight with a fat bloke. And they, <laughs> and, and, and what's interesting in this, you know, you've got a small group of survivors you know, fighting for survival, um, mm. fighting against the clock to get enough oil to refine, to put it into the submarine and escape. And in the midst of all this, you've got two officers knocking lumps out of each other in an oil pool where there are naked flames. <laughs> and Doug McClure's reaction is to laugh his stupid head off at it. <laughs> Not to intervene and say, for goodness sake, grow up, get out of there. But to stand there laughing.
1: Yeah. I found well, that it's, odd. It's, um, I don't know, it's so, uh, yeah, I don't have an answer <laughs> to that. You're probably right, yeah. <laughs> Anthony and his character, Dietz, he, he's a... He comes into his own slightly in the third book, um, and I think Olson, the character he, he fights, he get he kind of um, he gets a bit more to do later on as well. Ah, right. Again, I don't want to spoil it, but I tell you, have I told you the story of um, I was at a Doctor Who convention in Coventry, thinking about it must have been about two thousand, and in fact it was two thousand, yeah, it was, and it was around about this was around about the time that I was first reading Edgar Rice Burroughs. I um, was kind of, you know, not obsessed, but, you know, plowing through them for about a year or so. Back then. And I asked, one of the things that I got, the photographs that Anthony had at his table that you could buy and he would sign for you, was a postcard of him from the land that time forgot. So obviously I got one of those and chatted to him a bit about the books, asked him if he, you know, he'd ever read them and, and all that sort of thing. And he said he hadn't. Um, and then he gave me his home address so I could send him a copy of the books. And I did. And almost by return the post, I got a very nice handwritten letter from him thanking me and you know with a couple more signed photographs so that's really nice so that so that was quite good um yeah, also yeah.
2: that's that's also quite bizarre the fact that Anthony Ainley was virtually a millionaire if he wasn't already and he didn't buy the books himself what a cheap skate <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know I have right, no, let's, idea. Let's, I have no uh, idea if you ever read them obviously but uh, you know it's a nice it's a nice idea he indulged, he indulged a, an excited fanboy, shall
0: we say. Now, round right about this point in the film, there's a there's a, a big fight sequence where there's a couple of totally immobile dinosaurs uh, who do nothing except stand still yes. and, and and roar at Doug McClure. Now, what's interesting in this, and it feeds into my other concerns about this movie, Doug McClure tells his colleagues, you go away, right? You go back to the ship, arm the gun and blow these dinosaurs to hell right and yeah. I'll just wait here until you do and yeah. that's what happens and they go back these dinosaurs are doing nobody any harm yeah they're not even yeah, moved
1: either yeah. and then they
0: decide and then there's a big chunk of flesh comes out of one of the dinosaurs and looks really grotesque and violent yeah. um, and all for the, the purpose of basically to reduce the number of dinosaurs on the island it seems anyway so anyway they're refining oil um, now, remind me how Doug McClure and and Lisa get separated from the rest of the uh, of the crew.
1: I seem to remember she gets kidnapped by one, some of the next level cavemen, doesn't she? The Galu. I think that's right. Think. Yeah. Um, and this is this is kind of where um where the, the movie sort of ha- ends up. It gives it an off switch. It's where it takes a turn away from the book because in the book they get separated and Bowen goes off to find her and he does and, you know, they end up further north and it gets cold and all that. I think they go back and find that the um, the submarine is gone, now in the, in the movie a volcano goes off and explodes, you know, seemingly out of nowhere and it basically just switches the plot off the submarine yeah. tries to leave and, and it sinks and they all seem to die and and the movie winds up, obviously. With well, they, they
0: don't seem to die. I mean, I remember even at yeah. the age of 10 thinking that that ending was utterly horrific and unexpected. But I loved it yeah. because it was so unusual for a, a kid's movie for yeah. most of the cast who you expect to escape. I mean, I thought they yeah. were going to just abandon Doug McClure and Susan ben yeah. Uh, and, and escape, but but that's not what happens. I mean, the whole it's a horrible yeah. way for them to die as well. They basically suffocate with the heat, and then the explodes. Yeah. And yeah. you think, oh my goodness, yes, that's
1: very adult. I mean, it's that doesn't help. Without again wanting to spoil anything too much, you don't much, have to. Spoil, not how no, it. I'm not going to read the books, Dave. Spoil away. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's not what happens in the books at all. Basically, they get back, and what's happened is again the Germans have kind of rebelled, and again they've. And they've taken the submarine and they try to leave, but they end up basically just parking up three miles down the road. Right. Um, I'm, 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 I'm condensing rapidly across the three books. Um, Bowen and Lisa aren't aware of this at first, obviously. But basically, the first book does not end with the submarine sinking and, and losing all hands. Yeah. Um, what happens in the second book is that the the person who finds the flask um, in the first book takes it to Bowen's family, the rescue effect gets sort of mounted, um, character flies in the aeroplane, ends up having a whole adventure, they tie it up, and the third book is basically the adventures of Keith Barron's character, Bradley, who gets separated from the main group, goes off on an expedition during the first book, and it's all about his adventures, then he comes back, everyone basically meets up and, and you know, there's, there's, yeah yeah, and there's a happy ending basically. It doesn't end with the ship sort of sinking and everyone dying. Right. Um, and it's it's one of the things that when they made the second one, they kind of obviously they couldn't follow too closely the plot of the other books because they'd done this thing with the submarine sinking, and mm. you know they obviously they didn't have the 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 resources to 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 film the Weiru characters. Um, and again, they kind of touch on that slightly with the. You know the city with the skull on it, as about well, as close as they go. Um Yeah, I mean it's. I'm not a fan of the ending, to be honest, because it's quite, as you say, it's quite bleak. What would, how do you think of it, Ken?
2: I was. I mean, obviously, I I felt sorry for the dinosaurs because <laughs> I I liked the dinosaurs. In fact, we see them yeah. burning and blown apart. And yeah. um, I mean, to be honest, I couldn't give a damn about the cavemen or Neanderthals. Yeah. They just, I just, I just didn't feel there was any. God, this doesn't sound ridiculous, you know, in terms of character stuff. I just thought they're just like generic grunting people, um, and it just, yeah, I, mean, I, I just felt it petered out. I, I thought it was, it was, it didn't go the way that I remembered it or the way that I wanted it to go. And no. um, I don't I, you know, I, I just, I found it an unsatisfactory climax. Yes, I agree with that. It was, I I it, that. was it, um, it, yeah. it seemed to be building up to one thing, and then it is just gone the other, and then the fact that. Doug McClure's got a beard at the end as well. I'm not very convincing one either, and just, nah, I don't know. Well, in that case, he's got these, Kenny, I recommend... He's got the
1: you, beard because he's been there for a very long time by that point, I think.
2: You know? I
0: recommend, Kenny, you do not watch The People at Time Forgot if you're disappointed <laughs>
1: with the ending of The Land
0: at Time Forgot. Because let Ooh. me tell you, I mean, let me just shove in a few words about The People at Time Forgot. Please, let yeah. me know. It is, it is an interesting first half. Um, mm. and it is a dreadful second half where they clearly yeah. finished the whole film about an hour in and they realized <laughs> they've got to fill another half hour so they do all these padding stupid running yeah chases and yeah it's just it's, it's a really disappointing film and, and uh, you know, if you think it's disappointing that Doug McClure had a beard at the end of The Land That Time Forgot, <laughs> wait to see what happens to him at the end of The People That Time Forgot.
1: I would encourage you to read the books, guys, because they're great fun. They're really enjoyable. Really, there's, there's a real sort of primal, sort of unsophisticated, but at the same time really satisfying thing to reading a good Edgar Rice Burroughs. And this is probably his best, I would say, aside yeah. from maybe the, a couple of the Mars books and the first few Tarzans.
2: Kenny, any final thoughts on The Land That Time Forgot? I enjoyed it. I mean, despite, you know, not enjoying it, I think it's one of those, take your brain out, sit back, watch it, watch people blow up dinosaurs, watch some cavemen run about. Um, here's some submarine, here's some Germans. It's, I mean, it's pretty much, if you ask, a, if you ask like my nine-year-old self to put together, what would you like to see a film? The only thing that's probably missing from this are laser guns and a James Bond type car. So it ticks the boxes for take your brain out, put your feet up and watch it viewing.
0: Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I think its ambition is laudable. I think uh, it was a really gutsy attempt at filming something that in 1974 was essentially unfilmable. Um, But it introduced Doug McClure as the kind of action hero for schlockish uh, blockbusters. And as, as David said at the beginning, there was a, a number of them, and I enjoyed every single one of them. I, I I think, you know, if you set aside all the special effects and just say they are what they are, then the stories for all of them, I think, are, are generally rollicking good, you know, boys own stuff. And I think yeah. it, sh- it deserves a place in in the, the Who family tree for that, if nothing else. David, what's your final thoughts? My my
1: final thoughts. It's as a movie um, has has you know obvious sort of flaws, um, as we as we've discussed. But um, it's great to be able to see. As a Doctor Who fan, it's great to be able to see Anthony Ainley playing a different character yeah. from the one that we're used to. Um, as an Edgar Rice Burroughs fan, I am just delighted that it exists. Full stop. You know, yeah, because yeah. it's it's as I have said, it's one of my favourite of his stories, and it's and it's wonderful to be able to watch it.
0: Well, thanks, guys. You have been listening to The Power of Three, Doctor Who Family Tree. We'll be back with another episode of either the main series or the sub-series at some point in the very near future. But in the meantime, uh, have a lovely Christmas. Keep safe. um, Protect the NHS. And we will see you the other side of Christmas. So from me, uh, Tom,
2: it's goodbye. From me, Kenny, it's goodbye from The Power of Tree. And remember, please don't blow up dinosaurs. Yep, and for me,
1: David, take care, everyone. Merry Christmas.
0: With the sinking of the submarine, all our hopes of getting away from Caprona have disappeared. We are alone, spurned by even the highest, the Galu. So we have to go on in the way of Caprona till we find peace. I would rather live here with Lisa, Than to live elsewhere without her. And she says the same of me. If God wills it, we shall live our lives here. However, we are determined to move ever northward, ever forward, toward the greater mysteries that lie ahead of this land that time forgot.